group like this because I can lie to y'all. Y'all ain't gonna know. I, I can tell you. That's what when Chuck asked me, I thought, man, I'm gonna tell him I was good looking. <laughs> I got abs underneath all this. <laughs> I'm telling you, when when I was drinking, that's all I did. I drank. I loved to drink. And I didn't worry about eating. And you can tell tonight I'm not drinking. <laughs> Thank God for AA. Thank God that something happened. And, I, and where I come from, if, if you say anything in the meeting, they'll say, man, he's lost his mind. Thank God I've lost that mind. The mind I had was going to kill me. And I came here and everything's changed. Everything. Everything about me has changed. And, I, and I'll be forever grateful for that. I grew up, uh, I come from western Kentucky, a little country town in, called uh, Elkton, Kentucky, in Todd County. I'm country. <laughs> I'm not kind of hillbilly or from the woods. I'm country. <laughs> I've ate government's cheese all my life. I've ate that old peanut butter you get out of a can from the government. It was until I came to Louisville, Kentucky, before I ever used white toilet paper. <laughs> and Janet knows what I'm talking about. By God, when uh, we was when I was coming up, you read before you wiped. <laughs> we had uh, outhouses that you had to go out to. And an outhouse kind of told you if you were rich or poor. And our outhouse only had one hole. And one hole meant that you were poor. Because we'd go to church and their outhouses had two or three holes. You could sit there and talk to somebody. My dad was a great big man. My dad was seemed like he was like six five and had a great big old belly. And man, if he was here tonight and he was talking, he could lay his belly on this podium. And I don't care what size shirt my mother would buy my dad. You could always see his belly button. And he always had his finger in that button. Everywhere we went, my, my, and everybody was attracted to him. I don't know what it is about big people, but we're attracted to him. And I, on the, on the weekends for entertainment, we'd go to the, to the funeral home. That old funeral home, it ain't funny. They had a funeral home, which was entertainment for my dad. He loved to take me and my brother. I've always been short and heavy. My brother was short and heavy. He'd take us to that old funeral home. I remember we'd ride that old pickup truck and pull in that parking lot. And my dad would get ready to get out of that truck. 
and he was a disciplinarian. <laughs> That's hard to say with teeth. <laughs> Y'all don't even know what disciplinarian means, do you? That means he was mean as hell. But my dad was kind of guy that whatever he told you he meant, and we were getting ready to get out of that pickup truck. I'll never forget this. Me and my brother was getting ready to take off out of that truck, and he looked at us real stern. He said, do not eat nothing. <laughs> he didn't tell us he would whoop us. He didn't tell you we were going to get in trouble. He said, do not eat nothing. And he wobbled on up in the funeral home. And the funeral home was just a house. It was painted and had carpet. <laughs> and he wobbled up in that house. And me and my brother, I don't know why, but we went around to every car and started stealing them little uh, valve stem caps. Taking them little, I don't know why we was even stealing them. And my brother would look at me, he'd go, how many you got? I'd say 10. He'd say, I got 15. And then we shot up in the back of that funeral home right into the kitchen. And in the kitchen in these old country funeral homes where you, where you smoked your cigarettes, drank your coffee, and ate cookies. And we walked in that kitchen, forgot about everything my dad said. We spotted a big uh, thing of cookies. They were called 66. There was uh, 11 in each row, and there was six of them across. You'll count it up later. <laughs> we spotted them cookies and walked in, into that kitchen, went straight to them, and went straight over them cookies and bush hogged them. <laughs> we got cookie dust all in the corners of our mouth and all over our shirts. And I remember us walking out to that funeral parlor, and my dad was standing up there by that casket with his finger in his, in his belly button. <laughs> And he didn't wait for us to come here. He waited till we ran right up on, right next to him, and he started beating the hell out of us. Or whooping, whatever y'all call it. He's whooping us in front of the a coffin, and I swear you could hear all over the funeral home people saying, Look at them heathens. <laughs> and I remember a guy came up in a suit. Took a card out of his suit and handed it to my dad. He said, they called him Butterball. He said, Butterball, you come to Louisville, you can get a job driving a truck making $5 an hour. My dad could not believe it. We left out out at Fear Home, went up by the square. At the square is where the courthouse is and a phone booth. He got out of the truck, went over to the phone booth, and uh, dialed that number and talked to a guy on the phone. That guy said, yes, if you come to Louisville, we'll give you a job starting Monday. My dad loaded up all this junk. We had an old flatbed pickup truck, had cataracts on the back of it. Y'all know what cataracts are? He loaded up a big old couch, tied the legs of the couch in the backs, and tied them in the front so it wouldn't scoot back and forth when you put on the brakes and loaded up my three heavy sisters. 
took all kind of sacks of underwears and T-shirts, pushed him up on there, made my brother sit on one end of the arm of the couch, and I sat on the other arm of the couch. And, buddy, here we go to Louisville. We start, we're asking for 65 was built, and we started heading to Louisville, and we're riding along, and all them underwears and socks are flying out of the back of that truck. We look like the Beverly Hillbillies. And I'll never forget, we went by Bowling Green, went by Elizabethtown. And I looked over my brother, and my brother was bent over, and his knees were shaking like this. I looked at him, I said, what's wrong, Ralph? He said, man, I got to pee. I said, well, tell Daddy. He went, hell no. <laughs> and I knocked on the back of that truck, and Bob Daddy didn't look for a parking lot. He didn't look for a rest area. He pulled right off the side of that road into the woods. <laughs> Took him three heavy girls. My mother took him three girls up in the woods so they could do their business. My daddy made me and my brother march to the back of that tailgate and pee off the back of that truck while cars went by. And I believe that's what made me drink. <laughs> I sat down at a treatment center and there was a table full of guys sitting over to the left of me and every one of them was going, by God, he's right. <laughs> we came to Louisville and found a little shotgun house down in the worst part of Louisville, a neighborhood in the West End, a neighborhood called Portland. Portland is a rough neighborhood. On every corner is a church or a beer joint. You either got saved or you went to hell. <laughs> and it didn't take up me and my brother long to fit in. I mean, we got at it. My dad took us to a, a barber college. Y'all know what a barber college is? That's where they teach them how to cut hair on poor people. <laughs> and my dad took me and my brother, and we walked in there, and there was some old hateful man working there. And as soon as we walked in, that old hateful man would look at my dad, he'd say, how many? My dad would hold up two fingers, I got two. And that old man would look at me and my brother, and he'd go, sit down! And we sat down in the chair, and we didn't get a chance to tell him, can you push this up, or... That old man started cutting our hair. And he only had one cut, and it was called off. <laughs> and we walked out at a barber college that looked like two little pit bulls. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's real funny tonight. <laughs> and we'd go to school. And back in them days, everybody in school had long, greasy hair, and they'd comb the back of their hair, look like duck tails, they'd wear real tight t-shirts, and roll cigarettes up in the arm, and they'd wear real tight blue jeans. 
I couldn't wear blue jeans because they didn't make huskies back then. <laughs> and my dad would take us to an old department store called CSC, Consolidated Sales Company. All that means is they, they take all the seconds and sell them. You know what seconds are? You ever wore them shirts that were one collar was real big, <laughs> the other collar was real little. Or the buttons don't match and you have to line it up. And I remember going to school and everybody, it seemed like everybody was walking around like this, combing their hair back all the time. And my dad, he didn't buy us blue jeans, he bought us working pants and working shirts. You know what I'm talking about, them polished cotton pants with them polished cotton shirts? We went to school, looked like two little heavy maintenance men. <laughs> We'd walk down the hall to the school, and them guys would comb their hair back. We'd walk in front of them, and they'd say smart aleck remarks. You've seen them. You walk past them, they say stuff like, hey, we got a light out. <laughs> My brother would walk over and bust them right in the mouth. And in the big book, Dr. Silkworth talks about going back through our lives. We, needed, we had to have a personality change. My personality immediately changed when my brother hit them in the mouth. <laughs> because every time we'd walk past them, I'd stay behind my brother. You ever done this? And he'd walk in front of them, they wouldn't say nothing. I'd be behind him and I'd be looking at them guys going. <laughs> but if I was walking down the hall and I wasn't with him, I'd change. I was real humble. Hey, y'all. And I uh, run into a two, I don't know what it is about us. We, well, I, I don't know if we're born with it. I don't know if we study this. But you can turn every light out in here. Get it pitch dark and we'll go straight to an idiot. <laughs> you ever know we go straight to them. I think we got it naturally. Because I went, I was in that school and went straight to these two cats, and I mean these two cats were the coolest guys in school. One guy, he looked Italian. He was real dark complected, and he was the first white guy I ever seen had an afro and he didn't know it. <laughs> and his name was Mario. And Mario hanged around with a skinny guy who could tuck his shirt in with no problem. I could tuck mine in if I'm wearing them buffet britches. <laughs> it ain't funny. And them two guys would run down the hall to school, and man, everybody loved them. Mario was Italian, and the other guy was Skip, he was German. Back in them days, your ethnic background was real important. Ethnic means that's where you're from. And they'd run down the hall of school and everybody said, Look at Mario! He's Italian! 
Look at Skip, he's German. And then they'd look right at me and they'd go, what are you? <laughs> I didn't know what I was. I know what I am tonight. I'm an alcoholic. I'm not a crackologist. I'm not a reaperologist. I'm an alcoholic. I know it tonight. I didn't know it back then. And my dad had got that job and started hanging around with truck drivers. And you probably thought I was a doctor or a lawyer. I'm not. I'm a truck driver. <laughs> That's what I do. And I remember all them guys would come to our house and they'd get to our house at about 6.30, just like we do. Now you get to a meeting, everybody's scratching and itching, hugging on each other. They would do that. And then about 7 o'clock they would sit down and start drinking. And I'm running up and down the street with Mario and Skip. You ever done this, run up to a house, knock on the door, take off running? And hide in the bushes and look, look at the people looking around, just snicker. <laughs> and all I could think about, Mario was Italian, Skip, he was German. And I'm thinking, what the hell am I? And I'll never forget, we run up in our house, went back in the kitchen. We had a shotgun house. It's got three rooms, a front room, a bedroom, and a kitchen. Nothing else. And we run up in there, went back to the kitchen. I went straight up to that table. I said, Daddy, what are we? <laughs> he said, what are you talking about? And I had Mario and Skip with me. I said, Mario is Italian. Skip, he's German. What are we? And he said, without even blinking an eye, he said, we are redneck. I swear to God, I couldn't wait to get to school. <laughs> I couldn't wait to run down the hall going, I'm a redneck. <laughs> but thank God for a good sponsor and the inventories. I don't have to do it no more. <laughs> and have you ever seen a redneck drink? I know this half has. My dad then would sit around the table, and as soon as everybody sat down at the table, he'd get up from the table, walk over to the cabinet, get his favorite drinking glass out of the cabinet. It was always that old maroon plastic glass you steal from Pizza Hut. <laughs> Set that on that table, and he'd fill it up. And as soon as he filled that glass up to the top, one of them guys would grab it real quick and take a big pull off of it and slam it on that table and put my dad in a headlock. And he'd look right at my dad. He'd say, I love you. <laughs> and that would start at 7 o'clock. And they'd go all the way around the table till 9 o'clock. And at 9 o'clock, if you're a redneck, you'll understand this. They start pulling out... They want to arm wrestle with each other. All rednecks arm wrestle, even the women. <laughs> and whoever would win, they'd tell them they loved them. And then at 11 o'clock, something happened. 
This is kind of what they were like and what happened. At 11 o'clock, they all start reaching in their pockets, pulling their pocket knives out. And they go through our house trying to cut each other because they loved each other. <laughs> they get it right out in front of our house and start fighting. And I remember me and my brother being in our underwear. We'd go to the front door. And we'd be standing there watching them fight. And cars would go by our house going, they live right up there. <laughs> I had never had a drink. I was about 16, 17 years old. Never had alcohol in my body. But I was one of them guys, whatever you said, I've done it. I could be down the hall talking to some girl. They said, man, we've seen you talking to Brenda. I'd go, I've been with her. <laughs> I remember a little guy named Charlie Howard, a little short guy. They called him No Neck. No, they called him No Neck because he was so heavy. And he said, Rods, you coming to the football game tonight? And I said, yeah, I'm coming. He said, man, I'm going to have something to drink. You drank, don't you? I go, yeah, I drank. <clears throat> I never drank before in my life. And I got to the football game, and Charlie pulled out a big bottle of orange rock vodka. Y'all ain't never heard of it. You know why? Because it's expensive. <laughs> yeah. 87 cents a quart. <laughs> Charlie took the top off that bottle. He leaned back. He took a big pull off of it and pulled it out of his yeah, Albert Bounce started slapping himself in the face. He'd say, come on, Rods, hit me in the face like you're doing in movies. I said, hey, med bottle. I grabbed the bottle from Charlie. I took a big pull off of it, and I swear to God, every time I put alcohol, every time, when you put alcohol in me, the same thing happened. My jaws stick out. <laughs> I'd hand that bottle back to Charlie. Charlie grabbed that bottle. He leaned back. He took a big pull off of it. This time he pulled it out. He started bobbing and weaving. He goes, come on, Raj. Hit me in the face like he's doing in movies. And I'm trying to grab that damn bottle. I get the bottle. I get the bottle from me. I lean back. I take another big pull off of it. And this time my hands start tightening. I thought, say something about that jaw now. <laughs> and I hand the bottle back to Charlie, and Charlie grabs that bottle. He leans back. He takes another big pull off of it, and I'm standing over to the side going, I wish you would. <laughs> he pulled it bottle out of his mouth. He went, it rides. And I went, bam. <laughs> I hit him right in the face. And he sat down on the curb and started crying. Started calling me all them Petersburg names. That was the first time I ever got a buzz. Remember the first time you got a buzz? Not that little, ooh. I'm talking buzz. I'm talking about when your ears got real warm. And your neck got real hot. And you got real sexy. 
I love people who act like, I don't know what he's talking about. Yeah, I know you don't. But if you don't know what I'm talking about, ride by a beer joint tonight or one of these liquor stores, see that guy's hanging on the side of the building. I remember what it did to me. That was the first time I ever had a buzz. And we walked around the football field. And this guy that I drank with was my first sponsor. My first sponsor in Alcoholics Anonymous was with the guy that I, that I got drunk with. And several years later would be the guy that would lead me through the 12 steps that would change my life. I didn't know walking around that football field that I had a disease of perception. He said, Raj, you proceed to think things are happening that ain't happening. I said, you're crazier than hell. It happened. <laughs> he said, "You, we walked around that field and you'd lean on the fence. We're watching the game and girls would walk behind us. He said, they never said that. I said, I heard them. Girls would walk behind us and say stuff like, I want you. He said, man, they never said that. I said, by God, I heard it. Now, I didn't take off drinking every day, but I really liked what it did to me. I swear, it seemed like suddenly I, I stretched out. I wasn't as heavy. And my hair come out, and it was real blonde and wavy. Shut up. <laughs> I think about that day. I look at that mirror, I go, yeah. And I started chasing that buzz. Knew nothing about alcoholism. Nobody ever was coming around talking to us, telling us, man, you better... Nobody ever talked to us about quitting drinking. They never said that stuff. We'd get chased by the cops. Cops would run us up in the house. The cops never stopped us and said, why don't y'all go to AA? <laughs> they never said that. The cops would say, if you don't stop drinking, you're going to jail. The priest would say, if you don't stop drinking, you're going to hell. And the judge would say, if you don't stop drinking, you're going to penitentiary. That was my goal, was to go to penitentiary. Because it seemed like my heroes, <clears throat> everything they'd done, they worked out the, the, the trunks of their cars. You ever seen them? They'd have real nice TVs in a case. Everything they had was all packaged up. I thought, that's what I want. And I could never get it together. And I remember in school, there was a girl who used to sit way across the, the cafeteria. And every time you see her, she was always Googling. She'd bat her eyes. And you walk in the cafeteria, and everybody'd look at her. Kind of like in an AA meeting. You know, the girl sits back there by the coffee, and every time you go get coffee, she goes, Hello. <laughs> Hello. 
I'd see her every day in the lunchroom, and I'd hear all them greasers walk by my table, and they'd say, Rise, there's some girl over that likes you, and I'd look over there, and I'd think, She don't like me. And after them greasers would walk away, I'd look back over, and she was still Googling. Well, I ain't as dumb as I look. I start Googling back. <laughs> and I remember she'd walk from the school, get a block down the street, and some of you people who are about my age understand. Back in them days, you could walk behind somebody. And I'd walk behind her, and every now and then she'd turn back. <laughs> and I'm so shy, I did the same thing. <laughs> I did that for almost two years. I was 20 years old before I ever kissed a girl in the mouth. 20 years old. Shit, they they was having babies at 10. <laughs> but I couldn't get around a girl because I'd get nervous gags. <laughs> I ain't kidding, girls make me nervous. And I'd get real nervous and gas would build up and I could hardly. <laughs> oh, you got it too. And I remember I wanted to take that girl out on a date and I just can't get it together. And finally I asked her out on a date and we went out on a date. We was going to go to wrestling. Where I come from, girls love wrestling. I know y'all don't. But back home, man, they love, don't they? They love right. I took her out on a date and everything was just right. I'm about to blow up. I swear to God. I'm like a helium balloon. I'm about to bust. And I believe God works in her life in mysterious ways. But that girl said, would you go get me a cold drink? I thought, thank you, Jesus. Because I went to get her a drink and never stepped well. <laughs> I took her home. It was the first time I'd ever been on a date. Walked up beside the house. She grabbed the screen door. I, she was getting ready to go in the house. And she pulled that screen door. I've been seeing her for two years. I never touched her. She let go of that door, spun around, and kissed me right in the mouth. Shut up. <laughs> I'm telling you, for the next two minutes, that nothing moved that I could control. <laughs> and that, uh, eventually we would get married. I knew nothing about alcoholism. And I can't stop drinking. I'm 20 years old. And I can't stop drinking. Got a job at a whiskey barrel factory right on time. I, you ever look back through your life, everything was right on time, the way it happened. Just perfect. I'm a budding little alcoholic working at a whiskey barrel factory. You know what they put in, in the whiskey barrels? Whiskey. <laughs> I started drinking that whiskey every day, and, and my teeth started getting loose. I want to tell you, if you're here tonight, 
if you don't hear nothing else, floss your teeth. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I'll tell you, I drank that barrel of whiskey and my teeth would get loose. And then I, I'd get off work and everybody would say, Rod, push one of them teeth out. I could push them out like this. <laughs> and everybody would laugh and I'd push them back in and finally one would, one would fall out and I'd start to get that snaggled look. And me and that girl got married. We stayed married for nine years and I never was faithful. This is the part I don't like to talk about. I believe being faithful, and, and this is just for me, is real important today. Being faithful and honest. Anybody can stand up here and say, you know, I'm doing real good. You know, I'm really walking. But it, it's not just here, it's out there. I'm married today. I got a woman has got all her teeth. <laughs> ain't got a scar on her body. Ain't got them hooks in her nose or nothing wrong with it. <laughs> but my first uh, first wife, I couldn't. I could not be faithful. And all I did was drink and run and work. Drank, run, and work. And my teeth started falling out, and we got a divorce. We got divorced because I was unfaithful. And uh, when you lose teeth, you ever lost a tooth and you stick your tongue up that socket? I had lost all my six teeth up here and six down there, and I'd come to y'all's meetings. I'd run up in AA, and I'd go back there by the coffee. <laughs> And everybody would say, who's that lizard? <laughs> and I'd see girls walk by and they'd laugh and I'd go, and I seen that little guy I first got drunk with. He, it was my sponsor. And I'd go sit with him. I'd say, Charlie, them old girls like me. He goes, man, them girls don't like you. He said, man, you're a psych. I was here 50 days. And forgot about going to court. If you forget about going to court, they have somebody who will remind you. <laughs> and uh, I was living in a halfway house called the Talbot House in Louisville. And the sheriff came over there and, and uh, took me downtown. I stood in front of a judge. He told me what kind of man I'll never be. Told me, guys like me don't make good citizens. Do you have anything to say for yourself? I said, Your Honor. I'm going to AA. I'm doing real good. I live at the Talbot House. He said, I'm real proud of you. He said, I think it's wonderful, but I'm going to give you five years in the penitentiary. Sent me to penitentiary, and I got to the penitentiary, and it happened. Everybody in here has a messenger, and I'm about to meet mine. Took me to this place called LaGrange Reformatory, got down there, took me right to this cell, where a young black kid named Hambone. Hambone's not in AA, has nothing to do with AA, but he's my master. I'm telling you, he's my master. 
Walked in that, get ready to walk in that cell, and he'd hold his arms out like this. He said, God loves you. I went, wrong cell. <laughs> but it was the right cell. And when I walked in there, every day this kid would ask me to pray with him. He'd say, Roger, won't you pray with me? And I'd say, Hambone, won't you go to hell? <laughs> I don't know what it is about me, but I can't take a compliment. I can't take, so you can, you know, people are offering good stuff to me, I couldn't take it. You can walk up and say, Roger, really like that shirt. I go, it ain't mine. You know, I remember I would go out on the yard, lift them weights every day. And at the end of the day, when they lock you down, as soon as I walk in, that kid would be on his knees. You don't get on your knees in front of another man in penitentiary. <laughs> and he'd hold his hand out. He'd say, Rod, won't you pray with me? I thought, man, I ain't praying with you. This kid is my messenger. Right on time. God ain't never late. He is always on time. Always. And it was perfect. I'm telling you, it was perfect because I didn't want to have nothing to do with him. I'm a redneck. I don't want nothing to do with him. And God don't care what color you are. He don't care what you smell like. He don't care nothing about you. It don't matter. It's right on, I'm telling you, it's right on time. And every day I'd go lift them weights, and you always get a spotter behind you. I'm laying on that bench. I'm lifting them weights. I'm starting to swell up. Everybody walk by and say, Rod, you're looking good. I say, put more weight on there. Because you ain't going to believe this. I used to be a show-off. And I'm lifting them weights. I heard this voice. The white guys lift weights. So I have a weight pile over here. And the black guys have a weight pile over here. And we don't mingle. And I heard this voice say, Roger, won't you pray with me? I looked back at that spotter. I said, what'd you say? He goes, that wasn't me. He said, it was Hambone. And I looked right off to the right. I mean, there was this little kid, Hambone. 23 years old from eastern Kentucky. I don't know him at all. I'm 39 years old. I'm telling you, it was right on time. And he said, why don't you pray with me? And I got real embarrassed. I stood up on that bench and threw him weights down on the ground. I said, look, Ham, I want you to take that God and all your little praying and stick it up your butt. And I started to walk away and everybody's shaking their head like, what is wrong with this guy? And that night when they locked us down, from the time I seen Hambone to that, up to the time they locked us down, all, I had all these things going through my head. God was dealing with me. And I remember walking in that cell, and there he was. And I ain't kidding. I wanted to grab his hand. But you can't do that here. You can't go to penitentiary and hold hands and hug at their meetings. <laughs> Don't try it. You go to prison, you shoot, go to prison, go to a meeting, go start walking up and going to Bubba. <laughs> I wanted to grab his hand, but I'm not going to do it. But I want to try the praying thing, and I knelt down beside him, and it was going to happen. I thought, man, I'm going to do it. I'm going to try your little praying stuff. And he started to pray. 
It sounded like the Declaration of Independence. Man, I mean, he's rattling off, and I could hear these guards walking down the hall. I hear them keys rattling. And right when they got to our cell, I jumped up. I'm not going to let them guards see me with some little black kid on the floor. And right when I jumped up, this kid, who's, who's my messenger right on time, he starts saying, Roger, God don't care who's watching. He said, Roger, God don't care who's listening. He said, Roger, God is the perfect gentleman. He's ready whenever you're ready. I don't know why, but it done it. I got back down on my knees, and all I did was what I heard people in AA say. Things got better when I asked God to help me. And I asked God to help me on that filthy floor in that penitentiary. And I'm telling you, man, the lights didn't flicker and the room didn't wave or nothing. But something's happened to me. I am not the same person. I've had a change of heart. And the big book says unless we have a psychic change, there's little hope of our recovery. I've had a psychic change. It doesn't matter what you see up here. It's on the inside. I didn't know that. I judged you by your outside. Got out of that penitentiary, came directly to Alcoholics Novice, got in a home group called the Grace Group in Louisville, got that little guy, Charlie, to be my sponsor. He sponsored me for the next 11 years just like you're supposed to. He, I'm telling you, he'd take me and read the big book to me like I was retarded. And sit down and go through the book with me. And I'm a truck driver, and in, in 2001, I was going to Cincinnati, and I got my foot tore off in a wreck. Ain't nothing wrong being crippled. They put it back on. My foot got tore off and was laying on the floorboard of the truck, and the fire department came, picked that foot up. It looked like a, I had tennis shoes on. It looked like a tennis shoe full of chili. <laughs> yeah, I don't like chili no more. <laughs> Took me to the uh, Cincinnati uh, University of Cincinnati Hospital. They put the foot back on. Lady sir, it happened at four o'clock in the morning. Lady surgeon come in and said, "Why don't we try to put it back on? What's he got to lose?" They reattached the foot. Had a big uh, halo around my ankle. And every day, I stayed in the University Hospital for almost two months. And there's a place up in Cincinnati called Oak Street House. Everybody from Oak Street would come over, not everybody, but people would come and bring a meeting. And they'd sit around and they'd talk about the big book. And one night they would do a 12 and 12. Next night they would go through the book and, and every night was different. I love Cincinnati. Love the enthusiasm that they have at that Oak Street. If you're ever in Cincinnati, go to the Oak Street house. There's nothing but bikers and prostitutes and winos and just the roughest looking people. I love rough people. If you got bad breath, I'd like to talk to you. <laughs> I mean it, man. 
I got two little girls. One is seven. Her name is Katie, and I got a little girl, ten, Lily. All my life, I wanted to be around chicks. Be careful what you pray for. <laughs> we bought a house on uh, in Seminole on a street called Dummy. Y'all call it Doomy, I call it Dummy. <laughs> it's perfect for me. Only thing I don't like about little girls, they leave little naked Barbies laying on the floor. <laughs> and when you get up to go to the toilet, you step on one of them little boobies. <laughs> My wife's been sober a year longer than I have. And she reminds me time and time again. And we have all girls... And uh, every guy's dream is to have a little boy, and I want to have a little boy. She sponsored a little girl who could not stay sober, and she was pregnant. That little girl would come over, and, and Beth would take her through the steps, and she just couldn't get it. And she's about to deliver the baby, and she, and she had the little baby, and it was a little boy. And she'd come over, and she'd say, well, y'all watch Christian? He's, he's uh, two weeks old, and hell yeah, we'll watch him. We took that little baby and we bought everything for him. Bought the little old navy onesies and the little. <laughs> and she couldn't get it. She stayed gone for two months, come back to get that little boy and look like a beat down dog. And she tried to take the little boy home and we don't want him, we don't want her to take him home. And she took him home and come back and a week later said, would y'all watch him again? And yeah, we'll watch him again. She did the same thing. She stayed gone for three months. She come back. She said, I'm going to give him away. And my wife's an adopted child. She said, you're not giving him away. We're going to take him. We're going to file for adoption, aren't we, Roger? <laughs> <laughs> and she handed me the little boy, and I'm holding him. She, I said, what about Lily and Katie? And that little boy's rubbing my neck. And my wife said, aren't we going to adopt him, Roger? And I'm going to quit. <laughs> and I got a little boy. And I'm telling you, I come off the streets of Louisville, have a drunken, just, just a terrible mess. And through the grace of God, an Alcoholics Anonymous and a good sponsor. I mean a good sponsor. My whole life has changed. Yeah, thank you, Chuck, for inviting me to come here. Thank you. I'm Roger.